listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about our listeners and the insane fun they have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. And this is Drew. Uh, Anthony, Daniel did volunteer you to take his role over this week. Come on, we're waiting. And this is Daniel. Finally. Where's your, where's your great big bushy beard, Anthony? It's okay. Daniel shaved his beard, by the oh, way. Oh, I missed that. See, I yep. missed a couple of weeks, and wow, I'm out yep. of touch. Yeah, he's he's in summer mode. I still have mine, so <laughs> it's not bushy, but it's there. Well, that'll teach you to run Dell so much, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the episode, everybody. We're finally here, episode seventy-four, our listener feedback episode, wait, where wait, wait, the entire have... episode is about you. Do we have listeners? A lot of them. I'm doing this out. for fun, man. <laughs> Listeners? Drew, Drew. Hundreds, possibly thousands of people listen to you every week. Oh, you mean people actually listen? Yep. Wow, that's going to shut me down. <laughs> no pressure. Don't choke up on us now, Drew. Come on, man. People listening to me? Oy. <laughs> but they love you. All right. All right. This is the episode where we get to feel that love. It is, yes, and it's it's awesome because I, I was going back through looking at you know old comments we got and really didn't have to go that far back. Uh, and we've been putting out the call for this for the last few weeks, but um, you guys are awesome. Send us a lot of emails, lots of comments on Facebook and Twitter. Um, actually grabbed three of our listeners and did short interviews. They hopped on and we did quick Skype calls and talked about gaming and you know their role in the hobby and what they like to listen to. So it was a lot of fun. We got to do a lot of cool stuff. And we're going to bring it all to you this week on our very, very special episode in which it's it's about you guys. It's not us this week. It's about you. This week, we become the listeners. Ah, so zen. <laughs> I, I, I feel like at, at this moment, Daniel would say something very Eastern, philosophical. Uh, Anthony? Anthony? I, I'm, I don't have the philosophy degree. I can't. <laughs> Daniel, we're sorry. Anthony is failing you left and right on this episode. But once again, thank you so much for allowing Anthony to take your role here. You're volunteering. Man, you are so brave and courageous. Doubling up. (laughs) The world appreciates your effort, Daniel. (laughs) All right. So now that you're here with us, both listening and on the episode, let's get started. Anthony, what do we have up first? All right, cool. So we have a bunch of stuff, and we're going to just – what I want to do is kind of share what people are saying and kind of the topics that kind of led into this. And then we can kind of have a discussion too because obviously these are open-ended things, and we can talk about people's feedback and what we think. Um, There's a couple interesting comments in here. And then we're going to throw it to our listeners who, again, kind of uh, hopped on, and we had really great conversations about all sorts of stuff related to board gaming, Um, some Fun new stuff in there, too, that you can kind of pick up on that you might be interested in um, that's kind of outside of the normal BGA scope, um, bringing in outside people, which is a lot of fun. So um, why don't we read a few of these first, and then we'll throw it to the listeners in those interviews, and then we'll uh, come back and um, share a few more of these. Sounds good. 
Alrighty. So, um, one of the more interesting comments that I got in the last couple of weeks, which I thought was kind of funny, but I also wanted to throw it to you guys because it's something we were talking about recently, and it's actually something people have said to me a couple of times. Um, and this came from Jason via an email and in response to our recent top 10 co-op game um, episode. And he was saying, uh, you know, great job on the episode, loved it, but I do have a question. Why do you guys love Mice and Mystics so much? <laughs> it's okay. It's great for little kids, but my gamer friends hate it, especially the mechanics. Um, he goes on to talk about the trash mobs be- being kind of the same, and there's a lot of rolling because of the parry mechanic. But I did find it interesting because I know we like Mice and Mystics. And Daniel's not here. I think he's probably our most vocal advocate for this one. But So that means Anthony? And I am equally advocating Mice and Mystics <laughs> is the greatest co-op ever made. Well, you um, love miniatures, and you have a little kid I do. who loves stories. It's just perfect for you. I have a great excuse. I painted those things. So. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I really like about Mice and Mystics, which I don't find in a lot of other games, is the opportunity to participate in a narrative and have a role in a kind of dungeon delve that is actually part of a bigger story. And mechanic-wise, I really like the idea that you can pick up equipment, you can kind of change and alter your character, and yet at the same time, it's it's always going. It keeps going, it keeps going. Whereas certain other kind of games like Myth or the D&D Dungeon Delves are a little too chunky, they're a little too cumbersome, and you do kind of like get bogged down in a lot of like, all right, so I, put, I equip this, and I put this on, and I do this, and I like, uh, I just want to get some story going. So I think it fits a nice niche that most games don't fit. So yeah, I absolutely positively agree. It's on the lighter side. Gamers might find it a little too light for them, but I think it's one of those games that myself and daniel when we approached it we were like ah yeah this is a kind of a kid's game but i think if you get far enough in the adventure it eventually does kind of you know take you away a little bit i think an important feature of a really good co-op game is a low learning curve space alert is really tough to get into and having a, a steep learning curve is okay if you're playing every man for himself um, because you just go along and you play your best. But in a game where you've got half the people are new and trying to learn all the different functions and what you can do and, and the use of time, it slows everybody else down. It makes for a frustrating experience. Um, whereas a game like Mice and Mystics, it's very accessible, very easy to get into. Um, and I think that's why that would rank higher, I think, in my estimation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Um, Mice and Mystics is, you know, I understand where you're coming from, and I actually do agree on that front. If, you know, if I gamed with the same people every week and it was a heavier group of gamers, um, Mice and Mystics probably wouldn't hit the table as much uh, as possibly a heavier, more intense co-op that everybody knows how to play. But if you're hopping between different groups or if you don't get to the table very often or you're playing lots of new games, um, in between that, you probably want something a little lighter. Definitely get your point, though, Jason, and we appreciate your email on uh, Mice and Mystics. Uh, on Daniel's behalf, I stand up behind it, but uh, for those of you out there who are a little heavier gamers, especially in the co-op realm, there's a lot of other great games. I've, I'll stand up uh, for Freedom, the Underground Railroad. I was the one of the four that really enjoyed it the most, even though I, re- I realized it was flawed. Um I happen to think that's more prone to quarterbacking. 
where one person will tell everybody else what to do, whereas Mice and Mystics, there is truly more of a cooperative feel about it, and everybody gets to, to, to invest themselves in the role and have fun with it. I noticed a lot less quarterbacking in Mice and Mystics, too, so I think that's another reason. But still, I like freedom. It's a good choice for co-op, I think. All right, awesome. So moving on to the next question on the list here. I've got a couple answers on this one, and I put this one out there in a couple places, and I asked, if you had to downsize your collection, what would you get rid of first? And I thought it was funny because I actually got a bunch of joke answers. Um, somebody put out there, my wife, I'm kidding, but I'm not. But I'm bummed. Yeah. <laughs> and I, Take my wife, please. <laughs> I'm not going to throw the name out there. Just I'll save you that. Um, and somebody else joked that they'd get rid of their furniture before their games. Um, That's not too crazy, man. I could see that happening. Yeah, I mean, if you're moving, you know, furniture is harder to move. You'd put the games in a box. Uh, but uh, serious answers, they've got a couple of them. The first came from Joshua on Facebook, and he said, I would get rid of all these empty expansion boxes. It feels wrong to get rid of them, but they would definitely be the first to go. Uh I can I can fully understand that because I have a bunch sitting around as well, and I think half of them are under my bed right now because there's no room on my shelf, and I've just jammed everything in the, the other box. But I like the boxes, and the art's so great, so I haven't thrown them out yet. But do you think publishers are, are creating boxes that are larger than they need to be specifically for future expansions? I mean, it's like they're encouraging people to combine and throw away the other boxes. I think some of them do. Uh, Imperial Assault, the the game that just came out from Fantasy Flight in December, uh, it's a massive box, and everything that comes in that core set only fills about half of it. So obviously they're you know they're giving you space to plan for expansions. Um, whereas other companies uh, like Z-Man do a horrible job of that, and you can't fit any of the expansions in any of the boxes. Um, whether it's Robinson Crusoe or Terra Mystica or Pandemic or really anything, it, none of them work. So you do have to keep the other box. Um, it's it's really hard to say. I mean, I, I feel for game designers. Sometimes they don't know if the games are going to get expansions, so it's fair that they don't. They shouldn't have to put out a gigantic box. But on the other point, as Drew was saying, you know, you're getting these expansion boxes that most of the times are useless. And in general, most board games come in boxes that are just way too big, especially these expansion boxes. We talked about Machi Koro in the past. I know somebody commented and we talked back and forth on that. There's just a lot of game boxes that are just unnecessary. I think the only company that I saw that has done this really well was Bezier Games with Suburbia, which had a, just these punch boards that were wrapped in plastic, had a sheet of paper kind of displaying the box cover. And, you know, you ripped open the plastic and you added it into the game box. But once again, Suburbia doesn't have an insert, so it's like six of this and half a dozen of the other. But I'm like you, Anthony. It got to a point where I could not fit any more games on my shelves. And I really struggled with what to get rid of. And it was a it was a painful decision. And I honestly hated to do it because I really love the artwork on the expansion boxes and have this really strange connection to having all these boxes. But it, I got down to it, and I had to break them down, and I had to recycle them. I had hoped that I could find something to do with the boxes, like you know, put other stuff in them. But in the end, they were just too big, they were just too bulky, and I had to throw them away, and it just killed me. Yeah, I actually shoved baseball cards in mine. 
Uh, I had a bunch of long boxes full of baseball cards that I've been dragging around with me since college. Um, and I have children now, so I'm saving them for good reason, because I know they're going to enjoy them at some point, and I have no... In- baseball cards, that's a slippery slope. I mean, I spend a lot of money on, on board games. It's the CCG games. of the sports world. It's really... I spent so much money on baseball cards in college. Um, so... I'm saving them, but I was like, oh, I can put them in the uh, expansion box for Race for the Galaxy or all these Civilization boxes I have lying around. Um, so they're getting use, even if it's just this mishmash of half-empty boxes under my bed right now. Well, you, you guys are missing the obvious solution. You just have to buy a house with a large basement. It's <laughs> like I did. It's all you can do. And, and when that fills up, you got to buy another house. You just have to keep upgrading yeah, well, that that solves the problem. I think that's it. I th- yeah. think this whole conversation is moot now. <laughs> I will Just, tell my wife. It. Drew said to buy a bigger house. Buy a bigger house. Got yes. it. On it. Done. Uh, so I got. We also got another uh, response to this one too, which uh, it's yeah, it's it depends on. It's more of a direct opinion of a game. He actually just straight up said, and this is Ibrahim, um on Facebook, and said. Uh, I think Small World, it's a great game, but I don't really play it that much. And my wife and I just play on the iPad, which is a kind of the point that I thought was interesting is if there's a game you own uh, that you don't really play, but you play it a lot digitally, do you keep the physical copy that you're now probably not interested in playing anymore? Or does that make you more likely to want to play it and to keep it? Is it this sounds like a two-player situation, and you see that a lot. Um couples playing games by themselves um that sort of seems to tend toward digital that there's a lot of digital games that can play very easily on their ipads together um and it also makes me think that maybe they don't have a lot of room either it's just the two of them small maybe an apartment um i would say you could go without the box go without the physical copy if it's just the two of them it makes sense to stick with digital yeah, I think the rule of thumb is if the game is not hitting your table, it should probably be somewhere else. And I hate to say that, but unless you're a collector or you're a big fan of the game, I'm a big fan of Small World. I play the digital edition all the time. I also, I think I talked about this last week, I have the deluxe edition. I have the regular edition. I want to have all of the editions. But if it's not getting to the table, it probably shouldn't be part of your collection because you probably could find a game that, would probably get out a lot more that maybe doesn't have a digital version. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat on that one. So um, it's a good point, though. I mean, especially with the sheer number of digital games coming out these days, uh, it makes you start thinking whether you really need that game or not. But that being said, play the digital version a lot. You know, be sure that you're really going to get into it before you get rid of your hard copy because. I purchased a good number of digital board games, and they don't even come close to the physical copy. They just don't play well. Some games don't. Some no. games don't. I have Catan for the digital version. It's, it's horrible. I have Boss Monster. It doesn't play well. I mean, I have a lot of games that just don't play as well as their physical versions. It's funny. I, I don't really have much interest in Ticket to Ride anymore, but I have absolutely no interest in Ticket to Ride, a digital version. It's just sometimes the only thing keeping me holding on to a game is that tactile thing. At least you can put down trains in a row. Sure. Um, sometimes you got to touch it. Okay. Yep, definitely. I, I agree on all those points, especially 
with the small children who were not going to pick up the iPad as quickly as they would something tactile. Um, all right, so another question here that we actually got a ton of responses to, uh, and that I thought was interesting because I'm sure we all have games like this. Um, it, I asked, what is the best board game you've only ever played once? Um, and we actually got about half a dozen responses here. So I'll go through a few of them here, and we can kind of give our own kind of uh, uh, responses on our end. Um, so Mark on Facebook said Lewis and Clark. And I've actually gotten a couple of responses to various questions for Lewis and Clark. Um, it, to this question, as well as other questions about what game do you wish you got to the table more often, and what game do you wish your friends wanted to play when you brought it. Um, so that, I thought that was very interesting, because that's actually a game I've wanted to get to the table more often, and I have not. Joshua on Facebook mentioned Battlestar Galactica, and he just said his game group refuses to play it, despite how much he enjoys it. It's just really hard to get to the table. Uh, Josh on Facebook mentioned Belfort. He said he played it at Gen Con a couple years ago and really liked it. Hasn't gotten around to picking it up yet, and there's just so many other games in the way, so I think we've all kind of experienced that at some point. Um, Dorian on Facebook mentioned Dragon Strike. And then Show on Twitter mentioned Mage Knight, which I think a lot of people have <laughs> issues with Mage Knight. He specifically said nobody in his group is willing to learn the rules. Um, and I, I imagine that a lot of people who like this game have that problem. The game that I haven't been able to get to the table recently is Last Will. And I'm not really sure why. This is an excellent Euro game that's actually all about not just building an engine, but dismantling an engine. So it's got that Brewster's millions mechanic to it where you're trying to spend all your money but for some reason this is a game that's been underneath everyone's radar and it just does not get to the table and i played it once and i enjoyed it i picked up the expansion but have not gotten that to the table yet the game that um i used to talk about this game a lot d mocker um used to talk try and try and get a word in about it every week until i finally got a chance to play it once with a few other people who played it before and I haven't played it since. I love the game. Ranked very high. Um, very sophisticated strategy game, political strategy. Um, I would love to play it more and more, but it's another one of those where if you don't have a few other people to uh, who have played it before, it's really tough to teach an entire table uh, from scratch. It's a hard. So I've never brought it back to the table since that first time. Love to again sometime. D Mocker. Maybe I'll talk about it more and more, <laughs> like the old days. <laughs> That's what you got to do, right? Well, you guys once said you'd play it with me, and you never did. It's so tough when it takes so long. <laughs> and somebody moved away. Yeah. <laughs> Let's right, play Drew. by mail, then. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get it to the table here in New York, we'll play with you. All right. I'll hold you to it. <laughs> um. For me, I mentioned Lewis and Clark. That is one I'd like to get to the table again. I think the big one, the tough one to get to the table for me has been uh, War of the Ring. And we played it once, and it took an entire afternoon, and it was awesome. Uh, but because of how long it takes to teach, and because it's only a two-player game, and because that first playthrough will take four or five hours, it is super hard to get to the table. Super duper hard. So... Uh, it's huge, yeah. I will never get rid of it. It is one of my favorite games, even after the one play and a couple of times I've run through it alone. But it is 
it is a rough one to get out just because of those kind of barriers to entry. But I guarantee if you like that type of game, you will love it. So if you see me, you should ask to play because I want to play. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. it won't be long before Jack's going to be begging you for it. He's, he's going to be interested in that sort of thing. Yeah, that's true. i got to hold on to all these games for that. Um, and then in the meantime, I have Battle of Five Armies, which takes about half as long to play. So, Alrighty, so next question here is along the same lines. Games you've never gotten to the table, but that you bought, um, and you've never played. So you saw it, it was awesome looking, either it was hot at Gen Con, or you just somebody said something on a podcast, and you're like, I have to get that game, but you've still never played it, whether it's in Shrink or not. Um, and uh, Michael on Twitter, uh, he goes by Lunar Knight, he, <laughs> he actually sent over a giant list of games, which shows you he's definitely one of our listeners. <laughs> Fits right into the Acquisition Disorder crew. He mentioned Trajan, Shipyard, Alchemists, The Lord of the Rings LCG, Battle at Kemble's Cascade, Hegemonic, Defenders of the Realm, Kingsport Festival, and then he cut off there because I think character limit. Um, <laughs> and then JC Toodles, this is also Twitter, so that's his handle on there, uh, mentioned Man- Mansions of Madness. So I've actually heard this from a few people. Um, any of those Cthulhu-type games where you like the theme, but you buy the game, and maybe it's just and ne- whatever never gets out for any reason. Um, what about you guys? Any games you've bought and never actually gotten to play? I, I buy a lot of thrift shop stuff for curiosities. Um, some of them I'll, I'll bring to the table just to see what it's like, and others I'll just store away. Not really interested. It's nice to have them. I can't think of anything that I really want to bring to the table that I bought. Um, just I have too many games I haven't played, and it's like, uh Chris, there must be something you haven't played yet. Yeah, there's a couple. Um, in particular, I picked up Conquest of Planet Earth and its expansion, Apocalypse. I had heard about this game a long time ago. It had this 1950s B-movie sci-fi thing about you get to play one of these alien creatures coming to take over the Earth. It plays competitive and it plays cooperative, which is, I guess is great, but... I've heard some reviewers saying the competitive is great and the co-op is terrible. And I've heard other reviewers saying the co-op is great and the competitive is terrible. And because it's such a heavy theme-based Americlash game, it's really hard to get to the table because you got to get some people who really like that kind of alien menace type of movies from the 50s and 60s. And there are just not a lot of gamers like that. So I punched it. It's boxed up, it's ready to go, and I've yet to get it to the table, and I've had it for quite some time now, too. That's sad. It is sad. A, a, a game that's been punched and then just sitting there in the box unplayed. That's I such know, a those lonely... cute little alien creatures with their tentacles and probes They're ready. are just like, what are we going to play? They're ready. <laughs> <laughs> we want to take over the Earth. What's going on, guys? Come on. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I think my list is more like Michael's, where... I'll run out of characters. So <laughs> I mentioned Battle of Five Armies. Um, it is shorter. Uh, I've yet to play it. Um, <laughs> there's Mage Knight, again, another one that just because of the rules barrier, I've, I've yet to get to the table with a group of people. Um, Space Hulk, which I've only had for a few months now, and it, you know, I'm, I do plan on getting it to the table, but I've even yet to get around to, com- to gluing together the pieces for this one. So I couldn't play it if I wanted to. Um, there's a few like that, so I'm in the same boat. 
Next up, what I want to do is we're going to shoot it over to our listeners. Um, we had Yay! a couple people hop on for interviews and tell us a little bit about their background in gaming. I asked them what they do in the hobby, how do they get into it, what all they experience, not just necessarily, you know, we have um, one gentleman who's a game designer, another who does a podcast of his own. He just started a few months ago. Um, but in general, what all do you do in the hobby and, and how do you get into it? And then I also asked them the kind of things they like listening to or watching in podcasts or videos. Um, and I kind of gave them the out. They didn't necessarily have to say they love us, but um, you'll hear if they, you know, <laughs> go down that road or not. Um, so we'll shoot it over to them, let them share their gaming experiences, and then we'll hop back and we have a couple more uh, uh, bits of feedback from our listeners. All right, Anthony here with Nick, who uh, we actually interact with quite a bit on Twitter. This is how we've met him and how he kind of got a hold of us um, when we put out the call for for interviewers, interviewees, that is. Right. Um, and so we hopped on. We wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, you what you do in the hobby, what, how you enjoy board gaming. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you um, taking the time to talk to me. Um, you're right. I, I, I got a hold of this through Twitter. Uh, or I found out you wanted to interview folks through Twitter, which is uh, one of the places that I follow you guys. And a lot of the gaming news that I keep up with is on Twitter. Um, sort of feeds the addiction, seeing all the pictures of games people are playing. Um, and it makes me think, like, oh, yeah, I should try that one, too. Um, so my list of I should try that one, too, is about 4,000 long now. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I guess your first question, you said sort of my part in the hobby and what I like to do. Um, you know, I've actually really liked y- y'all's uh, segment you just started with the solo gaming, which is uh, part of the hobby that I've I've been liking to explore. Um, I just picked up uh, Sylvian from the store the other day, which is uh, a sort of a small card-based tower defense type game. Um, that's supposed to be like a one player or two player, but yeah, I played by myself. Um, um, and, and that's sort of the, a, a facet of the, the hobby that I've been exploring a lot lately. Um, anywhere from we're playing like one player Lahab or Caverna down to playing Friday or, um, you know, or sort of, uh, figuring out if there's maybe interesting solo ways to play games. I like, like I really love castles of Burgundy. Um, which has a neat solo variant that I've just been taking a crack at. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I haven't actually gotten to play that one solo yet. But uh, um, just the like, you know, I'm sure you listened to it. But just last week, I was talking about how to kind of tweak games to make them solo, whether they already have it or not. So I love that. Yeah, Burgundy has this neat little. I just found it on uh, BGG, but it's sort of like you essentially roll and take a couple resources off the pile. Um, and then try to make your decisions from there. So, you know, the game is practically solitaire as it is. Um, and so that's got a neat little variant. Um, but yeah, so that's um, what I've been doing so far. The, you asked the question too, sort of the, the part I play in the hobby. I do, I write um, for a website called the Ministry of Board Games, uh, which is out of the UK. Um, and I write sort of, uh, I don't know if you call them like op-ed pieces, but it's uh, not necessarily reviews, just uh, I'm, a, I'm a comedian, a stand-up comedian, and so and a humor writer, and so I, write, I contribute to there on uh, sort of what I at least hope is a humorous <laughs> take on the hobby. <laughs> um, sort of like what it's like the, when you catch your kids cheating in games or um, 
sort of like gripes people make that I think are sort of unnecessary gripes to make about the hobby. And um, so that's uh, my sort of contribution to the hobby at this point is, is doing some humor writing for uh, anybody who is interested in that. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I love, there's so much comedy to be had um, sure. and interesting stories. I mean, it's such a social sure. hobby, even if you're playing solo, because you can talk about it. Sure. <laughs> so there's so much to talk about. There's so much you can kind of mine on that front. Um, I feel like the yeah. first 20 some odd episodes of our podcast were just us telling stories about our friends at the store. So, right. um, what I do, I, it's, um, you know, it's, it, it's a hobby that has lots of space for humor and levity. And, um, you know, I'm actually out of my, group that I play with. I, I'm the one with all the games and I'm constantly trying to get new people into the hobby and get them to realize every time they ask if we can play risk, I tell them I've got plenty of games that take four hours, but are fun to play. Uh, <laughs> Zing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I'm constantly bringing new things to the table and just trying to talk people into going from one step to the next. And um, we have a lot of fun and we, and we're all comedians. And so we tend to gravitate towards the things that give us space to uh, laugh a lot while we're playing and, and sort of make up funny stories about what we're doing. Even if it's even like we try, we all took a crack at Caverna and we just gave all of our dwarves names and um, hilarious uh, reasons why their families were starving and just whatever we could to <laughs> pep it up a little bit. That's a good one for a good backstory. Sure, definitely. definitely. It's like, why are all these donkeys finding all these rubies in the mines? I <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The one guy's, uh, he just, I mean, starving every turn, every round, every harvest he was starving, and it was just, uh, it became funnier and funnier. Uh, <laughs> That's great. That adds, like, that extra layer to everything. That's awesome. Sure. Sure. Cool. Are you playing anything recently that's been uh, good for particularly interesting stories? Well, um, I... I, I just picked up a copy of Specter Ops, um, and I am absolutely dying to get that to the table um, because we also love lying to one another. Um, and like, I, I, one of my closest friends here, he but has betrayed me so many times in the resistance where I'm convinced this time he's on my side, um, and I'm sort of determined to get this one to the table because I think we're all going to have fun with the, the the secrecy of it and the hidden movement and. Um, taking a, we, we tend to play where take on the roles just almost one step too seriously. Um, <laughs> so, um, that's the most recent acquisition I've gotten that I'm, I'm looking forward to hitting the table because, because, because we love to assume the roles of what we're doing. So, so thoroughly, it's going to be, it should be a good time in terms of the, the spirit of the hunt. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a good fit for that kind of group. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be a fun one. I look forward to getting that one out, too. What I like to ask everybody on these is, um, you know, what you're interested in listening to. You mentioned the solo segment um, is something that you you thought was interesting. But anything else, uh, whether it's our podcast or someone else's or videos you watch that you just the type of content or the type of information that people put out there that you find particularly interesting? Yeah, I, I tend to um, I listen to quite a few. I was just looking at my list of podcasts now, board game podcasts. Um, I listen to quite a quite a few. Uh, the, the ones that I, I think I tend to gravitate towards are slightly cheeky, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, I suppose like just the the simple format of like here's a list of games we played and here's what we think. Um, 
it gets a little stale after a while. And so podcasts like um, the one you all have going and a couple other like, uh, um, let's see here, the Board Game Hour podcast, uh, the Secret Cabal Guys, um, Boards Alive podcast. Uh, those are a couple that I listen to. Shut up and sit down, guys, whenever they put out a podcast. Um, folks who, um, they don't just tell you what they've just played, but they give you interesting, um, you know, new ways to think about getting games to the table. I, I really love um, the spots you guys do when you do the, uh, if you like this game, then you would like these. Because um, that's, that's led me to quite a few games to try out because I, I share a love of seven wonders with you guys. Um, and there was a segment you did a, a, a couple episodes back where you sort of, where you were got from something seven wonders ish to a couple other games. And I immediately put my hands on a couple of those and, and really enjoyed them. So, um, I like listening to podcasts that will, um, sort of help, help me take a leap from something I know I already love to, what would I love as, um, also if this is a game I like? Um, especially, like I said, being the one in the group who has who uh, has most of the games, it's easier for me to think like, okay, you, you know, we really did like, you know, Kingsburg we really like. So what, what might we like also? Um, if, if that one was a hit, then what else might be? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a question that we always found ourselves asking, so it made sense to do a segment on it. It's been really popular, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I've really, I've really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I really liked it. Awesome. Yeah, we're actually uh, after you and I are done talking, we're recording the next one, which is uh, if you like pandemic, try dot dot dot. Oh, great, great. Yeah, that's that that one is uh, um, has been a hit, but it, to the point where like it's it is one of those gateway co ops that I use, and so I'm so I'm tired of playing it, <laughs> frankly, and uh, I'm ready to get other stuff. I've, I just got them to get Flashpoint out, and so. I'm ready to I'm ready to get from pandemic to something else, and so that'll be a that one to be a fun one to listen to. Cool, man. So, I mean, are you doing anything this summer? Uh, you know, lots of conventions coming up. Lots of, I mean, just in general, a lot of people do a lot of gaming type events, holidays. I actually, yeah, I, uh, this summer I'm relocating to Dallas, um, which so that's going to take up my whole summer, but it puts me in the sweet spot to uh, go to BGG Con in November. Um, cause I'll be right in the heart of it. And so, um, yeah, this summer I've, I've the majority of my focus is, is just, is moving across the country, but, um, hopefully then I'll be able to sort of, uh, get into some new groups, new gaming groups. Um, maybe seek out some people who play board games regularly. So I'm not the, it doesn't just rest on my collection alone. Thanks for joining me. This has been really yeah, fun. Sure. I really appreciate it. I know you and I go back and forth on Twitter quite a bit. And so right. it's, it's awesome <laughs> to actually get to meet you and talk to you a little bit about, you know, your gaming habits. Yeah. Yeah. This has been nice. It's been nice to talk to you. All right. Anthony here. I'm here with Gil Hova. Uh, we actually met Gil at uh, Dreamation back in February. Uh, he was demoing one of his games, but also it was really, you know, great. And we got to talk to him a little bit about gaming uh, throughout the convention. Um, Gil's around here. I know he does a lot of stuff in gaming. He's also very active on Twitter, so we've had a lot of conversations. And uh, when we put out the call, he jumped right on it and uh, wanted to hop on and uh, have a quick chat with us. So I'm happy to welcome you. Awesome. Yes. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I have been a game designer for a while. I started designing games um, 
starting in probably around 2000, I wanted to be a video game designer back then, and uh, I figured that the way to do it is to start with board games and work my way, uh, uh, you know, because board games are more simpler and elegant, or simpler and elegant, I should say, simpler and more elegant, that's the right choice of words, than video games, so I figured I'd start with a simpler, more elegant form and work my way up, and that's when I discovered that I liked board games more than I liked video games, so uh, I kept on working at uh, designing games, designing board games, and um, eventually my games improved from horrible to merely terrible to merely mediocre, and now they're at the point where they're actually getting good to great, uh, which I'm really happy with. Um, so I got two games published originally. Um, I have a game called Prolix, a word game that came out from Z-Man in 2010, and then I have a second game, um, a an economic strategy game called Battle Merchants that came out in 2014, uh, and uh, I've decided to strike out on my own. So from here on in, if all goes well, I'll be publishing my own games as formal ferret games. Uh, my first game that I'm self-publishing is a party game called Bad Medicine that uh, I kickstarted, and the Kickstarter ended in March, and we asked for $8,000, and we raised over $30,000. So that was much more of a success than I expected, uh, but I'm very happy with it. Anthony, I believe that's the game you and I played also. And uh, I'm currently working on delivering Bad Medicine. It's June now, the beginning of June. We just signed off on the proofs today. So I'm hoping to have the game shipped in September, which is thankfully my original estimate. So things are going as planned. Uh, I'm also ramping up and gearing up for another Kickstarter, uh, tentatively scheduled for September, for another strategy game called The Networks. Uh, And I'm about to head off to Origins tomorrow, where I will be showing off an expansion uh, and selling this new expansion to my game Battle Merchants. It's called Battle Merchants New Kingdoms, uh, and it's a way of just keeping Battle Merchants fresh and um, expanding uh, the strategic options in the game, but it's still very playable to someone who's never played the game before, and we're going to be demoing that to all sorts of people at Origins uh, starting Thursday, which is really exciting. No, that's fantastic. And I know I've seen that you're very active in a lot of different areas of the gaming world. Um, obviously, the, all the games you've been publishing, you know, you'll be at Origins this week, for people listening, you know, uh, last week, week before. Uh, I imagine you'll be at other conventions this summer as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the other areas of gaming that you get involved with, whether it's writing or maybe community events? Yeah, I uh, I have a blog at guild.hova.net, um, and I post about once a month at this point. That seems to be the, the happy spot for me. Um, and I like talking about theory, although lately um, I was really struck a lot by... Um, uh, just by the idea of women in gaming and equality in gaming and... Um, why there are so uh, relatively few women game designers. And um, it was all based off a project I did last year where I logged the genders of everyone I played with just because I was curious to see, well, how many women do I play with uh, against men? And I found some interesting stuff out. I found out that overall um, my opponents tend to be 75% men and 25% women. But... That depends on a couple of things. Uh, if I am playing in a public place, um, it drops about 
10, the women percentage of women drops about 10%, whereas if I'm playing in private uh, at somebody's house, for example, the number of women rises about 10%, and that was kind of interesting. Um, also, I found that if I was playing a prototype, the number of women dropped again by about 10%, whereas if I was playing a published game, the number of women uh, rose about 10%. Uh, so, you know, there's some definitely some trends, and, you know, I started analyzing those trends, and that whole thing started opening my eyes to... Uh, um, things that sociologists call microaggressions, you know, little things that people do unconsciously that unintentionally exclude people from certain activities. And I think there's a ton of things that men do, that male gamers do, that uh, tell a lot of new female gamers you're not really wanted in this hobby, even though that's not the intent. And a lot of people don't expect that. Like, they think it's about offensiveness. They think it's, well, is this offensive to women? No, it's not offensive? Oh, then there's no problem. But it's more subtle than that. You know, it really is about, I call them invisible ropes because I hate the term microaggression. You know, it's it's very um, it, it's very accusatory, you know. And uh, what, I'm not being aggressive. Uh, but that's, you know, I guess that's the micro part in it. But it really it's more about these invisible ropes that we unconsciously uh, string up. You know, whether it's the number of men on game covers versus the number of women on game covers or whether it's if a woman uh, pauses for a while to figure out her move. I've noticed it uh, tends to be a lot quicker for men to start giving her strategic advice or even re-explaining the rules of the game. Even though she knows all her options, she's just thinking, you know, and um, I think a lot of men don't give women the space to think, and that um, that winds up being um, a little bit of a barrier sometimes, like, well, no, this is kind of annoying. Um, and uh, thirdly, just the number of men in the hobby as opposed to women in the hobby, which is completely unfair, and there's not a lot we can do about it, but a lot of us gamers are familiar with snowball mechanisms, we're familiar with the idea of a positive feedback loop, and this is an unfortunate positive feedback loop, you know, the more um, men there are in a game gaming scene, uh, the fewer women there's going to be, and that is going to be a trend that continues and continues, because women will tend to feel excluded from that, and certainly there's going to be some women who won't be turned off by that, but some women will be turned off by that. And overall, I think all these things factor in. It's a really complex and rich issue. It's not something that's as simple as, well, this is offensive to a woman. It's, that's really not that. So, yeah, I've been writing a lot on that, and I find that um, subject really fascinating. Um, I don't think I'm very good at the whole social justice thing, uh, but I'm trying to get better, and uh, I think this is just my way of getting better. Anything else additional, you know, interesting gaming-wise? You know, what we're asking everybody on, you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, on, on these interviews is, you know, what you like listening to, um, not necessarily our podcast, but, you know, feel free. <laughs> well, I, I, I recently got into the podcast game, I have to say. Um, I've only really been listening to podcasts for a few weeks now, uh, so I haven't had a lot of time to listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, so uh, the first podcast uh, that I really, really like is Ludology, um, because I love that really in-depth look at um, at game design and uh, the theory behind games and I think uh, Jeff and his new host Mike are really really good they have a fantastic perspective at really tearing apart the issue and providing uh, an incredibly experienced and veteran and thoughtful look at the subject so to me that's a must listen um, the second podcast I really enjoy is Board Games Insider that's a new one by Stephen Bonacor and Ignacy Travisek and uh, Travisek, sorry, and they uh, 
provide a publisher's point of view, and they're not afraid to go into some of the nitty-gritty, and especially Ignazi, uh, he gave his tips on how to... Um, how to show your game at a convention, and it was great. It was really great to listen to his points of view because he's got an incredibly good way of teaching games, you know, talking about how he's... Uh, Stephen asked, what are your three tips? And his set, his set, he said the first tip is to lie, you know. Uh, when somebody asks how long your game is, tell them it takes five minutes. It doesn't matter if it takes an hour. It doesn't matter if it takes two hours. Tell them you can show them the game in five minutes. That's kind of true because you can show them the game in five minutes, and then it's up to them if they want to stay or not. But he said... In truth, they're probably on their way to the sec to the next booth as they as you're talking to them, and it's your job to get them any way you can into your booth. And it's it's perspectives like that that I really appreciate. You know, and it's really great to hear them talk about uh, distribution consolidators. You know, things that most podcasts don't talk about. You know, most podcasts will talk about you know out of print. Uh, this game's out of print. Whereas, um, you know, these guys will probably at some point start talking about what out of print really means because it's not as Easy as just saying a game of that is out of print. Well, what does out of print mean? You know, does it mean the publisher is not printing anymore? Well, a game only gets printed in short bursts, so every game by definition is out of print. You know, um, because it's only printed for you know a short part of a day, and then it's sent to distribution. You know, is it out of print when it's out of stock distributors? Well, there's ten distributors across America and more across the world. So. Um, is it out of stock? If it's out of print, I'd imagine when it's out of stock at all distributors, what what if only five distributors have it? What if it's it's one big distributor and four small distributors? Is that out of print? It's a it, what if it's out of print? Distributors don't have it, but retail stores still have it. You know, this is kind of a confusing issue. You know, it's not as as clean cut, and I like. That's something I'd probably like to hear them talk about, and that's the kind of perspective that that they bring. Um, the third podcast I'd like to highlight um, is um, on board games, um, and especially the crowdfunding edition that Isaac Shalov and Stephanie Straw host. Um, Isaac is an amazing host. He's incredibly well-spoken. He has fantastic questions questions. He's not afraid to speak his view, which has gotten him in trouble at points, but I really like that candor, and I really like his honesty. And he's able to provide very, very clear-cut points of view, you know? And it's not just a matter of saying what's on his mind. You know, he's very able to make very subtle distinctions and really it's not just a matter of, well, this is great, well, this sucks, well, this rules. You know, some podcasters I've heard, they're only able to say, well, this is great, this is not great, but Isaac can really dig deep and go into why. Uh, Stephanie's only been on the show for a few weeks, but, you know, she's been podcasting for a while. Um, I can hear she's very seasoned. Um, she has a great presentation. She's also very intelligent. She brings a marketer's point of view to uh, the podcast, and since it's about Kickstarter, I think that's a really valuable perspective to have um and like isaac she's also incredibly funny and a lot of fun to listen to all right well that's uh you know that's everything you know i had from my end i really want to thank you um gil for joining us uh, on the special episode i know you got a ton going on right now like you said you're heading off to origins tomorrow speaking from the future hopefully it went really well for you um 
Thank you, Future Anthony. <laughs> Are you going to be at any other conventions throughout the summer? Yes, um, I'm going to be at DexCon, which is a smaller uh, New Jersey-based con uh, that's in Morristown, New Jersey. But um, I love the Double Exposure people. Um, they've uh, they have been they've had my back for a long time, and uh, I have an incredible amount of debt to them. So uh, I really like attending their cons. It means a lot to me. Um, and uh, I'll be at Too Many Games. In and uh, I think that's near Philadelphia, uh, and that's more of a video game con, but I'll be showing Bad Medicine there because I think Bad Medicine will go really well with that. Um, I'm going to be at Gen Con. Um, I'm going to be, be splitting a booth with Nazca Games. I'm going to be at the um, with the Indie Game Alliance showing Bad Medicine there. Uh, I'm going to be showing my new game, The Networks, which is going to have that Kickstarter in September. I'm, I'm going to be showing that at the First Exposure Playtest Hall that Double Exposure runs. And I might be at a fourth booth um, uh, depending on uh, any pieces of paper that I may sign. I am also going to be at Essen. I am not entirely sure if I'm going to be showing at Essen. That also depends on if I sign that piece of paper. And uh, I might be at at least one PAX in the fall, uh, but I can't confirm that for sure until, well, paper signature, as I said. Um, and uh, finally, I will, be, I will have a booth at BGGCon, so I will, uh, I will be showing games there. So bottom line is, if you're going to anything, you can find Gil at one of those conventions. Yes, uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to, uh, you know, like a really good peanut butter Nutella sandwich, I'm just trying to cover as much as I can. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed it. Really appreciate you having you. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. We're going to be probably at DexCon and then at Gen Con. We're not going to make it to Origins, but we'll see you uh, at DexCon here in about a month. Fantastic. Um, best of luck at Origins, and thanks again for coming on. Great. Thanks so much, Anthony. All right, so Anthony here, and I have Gino Brancasio with us. I'm all the way from across the pond. I know it's super late for you, so thank you for hopping on with us. You're very welcome. Thank you for letting me join you. So I know we've had a couple conversations on Twitter um, about games in general. Um, we connected a couple times, oh, I want to say earlier this year. So it was awesome when you said you wanted to hop on with us and record a little bit. And I know you do a little bit of your own recording as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So we've got a podcast. So there's me uh, and then my colleagues, Tony and Bevan, and we have a podcast called The Talking Tinkerbots because we, we call ourselves Tinkerbots and we generally talk on the podcast. So um, that's about board gaming, board game design, Kickstarter, that sort of thing. Awesome. Cool. And how long have you guys been doing that? Oh, I think we started uh, about January. So we've been doing it like six months now. So it's fairly new. We're still trying to find our feet on what we're talking about. Um, but we're sort of settling on um, interviewing people across the industry. So people from like the very earliest stage of design all the way to people that have done Kickstarters. Like th- we, we interviewed John Covio, who's done three Kickstarter campaigns now. And he's, you know, he's done publishing and production. So we're sort of trying to get the whole progression uh, from the beginning to the end of uh, publishing a board game, either through Kickstarter or through traditional means. And we just sort of interviewing people. And those are like our most popular episodes, so that's kind of what we're doing at the moment because that's what people want. You know, why don't you tell us, you know, beyond the podcast, like how you got into the hobby, you know, anything else you do as part of it, and kind of like what, um, how you engage either with friends or just professionally in the hobby. Yeah, cool. So um, uh, it was actually my wife that got me into this. So we were still in the fairly early stages of our relationship, and she's like, oh, by the way, this weekend we're going to go over and we're going to play board games with my friends. I'm like, okay, cool, yeah, I, I know we're not being scrabbled and all these things. Um, and she, she kind of laughed and went, no, 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 no real board games. Um, and the first proper board game I played was Descent. Um, so that was a nice, gentle introduction into board games. Uh, <laughs> 
And then after that, we played, uh, the next day, we played Arkham Horror. So there's me thinking, wow, I've got a lot to learn about board games. But this is kind of fun. And I'm, I was kind of like hooked. Even though those are like, they're not the easiest of games to get into, I was just sold. Um, and I've kind of run away with it. And she still loves board games. Like we, we just went to the UK Games Expo a couple of weekends ago. Um, and she bought more board games than I did. So she's well into it. Um, but I've kind of run into it in terms of the, like doing the podcast and doing a bit of design with friends and just sort of getting on Twitter and talking about it all the time. Um, and even Google plus there's a good, there's a good active board game community on Google plus, which was a big surprise for me. So sort of just getting out there and being more involved in the industry is kind of where I've gone into this. Um, but yeah, it's my wife that got me into it, which, which is, which is fun because that means we're always sort of debating which game to play next. Cause she likes some kind of games and I like other kind of games. It's just, just so good to have a player with me all the times, but not always works that. Doesn't always work that way because sometimes she wants to play a game that I don't particularly want to play, and, and vice versa. But hey, that's what, that's the whole thing about marriage. Now compromise. We compromise. We meet in the middle. We play a game we both like. Um, so that's how I got started in the board game industry. Um, and then I kind of thought we just started playing with all our friends. So all our friends were playing board games as well. Um, and then I, I had a friend called Bevan, and he said, "Oh, you know, I've had a go at designing games." And I thought. Uh, that sounds like it's probably going to be quite hard. I don't know how good he is at it. I thought, okay, yeah, you know, be supportive of friends. Okay, yeah, Let, let's see some of these games you've designed, you know. Um, and it turns out he was just nailing it. So he's, he came up with some really great design ideas. And I thought, hey, this is really good. And this is really good fun as well. He was having a lot of fun with it. So we sort of, we worked together a little bit. We have a few goes at ideas of design. So we brought on our friend Tony. And the three of us sort of like, as a hobby, just pitch ideas to each other, design games, um, and we're just sort of doing that for a lot of fun. Um, we've been shortlisted a couple of times for some competitions in the UK. The redesign competition was a fun one. So for those who don't know what a redesign competition is, you get given um, a board game, and we got given Wilderness, um, and you have to design a completely brand new game from all the components that are in there, and you sort of get scored higher if you use more of the original components, that sort of thing. Um, and we did that, and we all had a few entries in the, in the final rounds of that, which was good fun. Um, that's kind of a new take on board game design. If you ever want to try a, an interesting board game design, try doing a redesign. That, that's uh, an interesting way of doing it. Um, and then from there, yeah, we decided to do a podcast. Um, we tried videos. Videos were good, but they're really time intensive. And we did a few podcasts just as a test, and people really liked them. And we're doing that now for fun. Um, and that's kind of what we're doing. Awesome. So, I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about the types of things you like to listen to, whether it's a certain kind of feature or um, certain perspective on games or even on, you know, in videos or anything else like that? Yeah, yeah. So um, with podcasts, I mean, there's sort of three things I'm normally looking for in a podcast. So there's um, sort of the Kickstarter lessons. So things like Richard Bliss um, and his, uh, his his crowdsourcing um, podcast. Uh, Steve Rudusky does a good one, Board Gaming Industries. Um, and then anything to do with sort of kick, like Kickstarter and board gaming industry, that's kind of the fun thing. Oh, um, Stephen Bonacore and Ignacy Trevicek from Stronghold Games and uh, Portal Games, respectively, have got a great one. They've just started Board Games Insider about the industry. So, like, board game industry podcasts are really good fun. I really like those. Um, board game design podcasts like Ludology. You couldn't get better than Ludology for a board game design podcast because it's short, it's sweet, and Jeff really knows what he's talking about. Um, and even, like, the hour-long episodes, they just really get in depth with some of the really interesting things. So you've got the industry, you've got the design, and then you've got the sort of the general and the reviewing. And that's where it's a good idea to get, like, an overview of the industry as it is right now. So, like, what games have just come out? What games have been out for a while but are still really good, and just sort of getting a feel for what people 
uh, like. And it's interesting because you start to learn about which reviewers like which games. And I might even hear like a reviewer say, I don't like this game for these reasons. As a as a consumer, I still think mm, I can I can see why you don't like that because I'm starting to learn about you as a reviewer. But I know that I like games that you don't. So if you don't like a game, it might actually be something I enjoy. So, so listening to certain reviewers consistently can give you an idea of sort of which games are coming out. And one of the most important things I think I like to hear in a podcast, in either a review or a podcast, uh, uh, sorry, in either a video review or a podcast review, is when a reviewer knows the difference between a game that they like and a good game. I'm sure you know what I mean by that. But what I mean is sometimes you'll have a reviewer who says, I don't like this game personally, but it's a good game. Or, I do like this game, but I understand that there are issues with it and it's not balanced or it's not particularly a great game, but I enjoy it anyway. Compared to some reviewers who say, I don't like this game, therefore it's a bad game. But there's a huge difference between those two things. Bad games are just badly designed. But people's personal opinions is something completely separate. And I think that reviewers identifying that is a really important thing to have. And you guys do that. You guys will sometimes say, you know, I don't like this game, but I can see that people who like these games would like it. So you're not saying that you don't like it because it's a bad game. You're saying you don't like it because, you know, it's not the sort of thing that's for you. That's a fantastic point because uh, I can tell you that, you know, even however it comes out when it's all edited and done, we do struggle with that at times because if you play a game and dislike it, you really have to remove yourself like several steps back to think like, well, is this well designed and I just didn't have a good time or is there a problem that made it so I didn't have a good time? Exactly. And that, and having reviewers that understand that is really valuable because that will give you a proper insight into the game rather than just their opinion. And that's what you want, really, because opinions are great. And it's a good idea to get, you know, if you trust people's opinions, then go for it. But to be able to have a good idea about should I buy this game before I play it, you need a really good insight. And having a reviewer that identifies those those key factors will really help you make that good decision. Um, and you guys do that, which is why I listen to your podcast and why you weren't part of the calls that have been in the past. You guys have identified the difference. And, like, you know, we've done it. So we got sent a Kickstarter game that we reviewed a while ago. Um, and we did it. It wasn't a podcast review. It was a written review. And the game was kind of it wasn't great. It was there was no player interaction, so there were five of us playing, and we never once interacted with each other. It was essentially a solo puzzle. You know, you were you were shipping things across the world, and you just sort of. I don't want to go into descriptions of it because uh, I think the 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 designer decided to pull it, um, but it it wasn't the best game in terms of board games for a get together with friends in the evening. However, I still liked it as a puzzle, so I was quite happy to play it again. But I would have played it by myself. It was that kind of thing. So it's like, if you like puzzles based on the theme of shipping things around the world, then you'll like this game. But if you want something out there that's, you know, to play with your friends, this is not for you because you'll never interact with your friends for the next two hours while you're playing this game. So it was kind of long, but if you like solo in, solo play, then it would have been fine for you. So identifying that difference, I think, is really important because if people like that want to buy that game, then they still can. It's not, you know... It's not the greatest of games for interaction, but it doesn't mean it's a bad game. If that's what you like, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about context. If you can give that context, people you know, at least get something out of the review, even if they're not going to buy it. 
exactly. And I mean, you know, we ha- I even learned things from from my my fellow co-hosts on the podcast. So we were talking the other day about games that we don't like, and and Bevan made a really good insight into the fact that um, it really depends on your attitude going in. So this is something I've realised now that I've been doing wrong for a long time. So uh, people always hate me when I say this, but I was never a big fan of King of uh, Tokyo. Kings of Tokyo. I just didn't really like it as a push luck game. I didn't think it was that much of a fun game. And I always kind of said, eh, it's not that good a game. But then he said, well, it's because you're going into it with the wrong attitude. You're going into it, you know, with the attitude of a good, solid, thinky, working hard game when it's push luck and it's fun and it's random and you, you know, you're playing the odds and you should think of it that way. And I realized, oh man, he's right. It is actually a good game. I'm just thinking about it all wrong. And that was my fault, you know. So, I'm still learning myself about how to do this right, and I'm learning from from you guys and from from the uh, the Dice Tower and from even my fellow co-hosts who I've been sitting around the table with for years. So yeah, that's something I value really highly in podcasts, to be honest, and any review. Fantastic! Now that's awesome, and I totally agree with you 100. Um, percent Definitely something I challenged with challenged myself <laughs> to do better at very early on. Uh, it's right up there with the "if I lose this game, I do not hate it" mentality. Yes. You know? Oh, yes. That's the first lesson which we should all hopefully learn as children. But as I'm playing with more and more people as time goes on, I realise not all of us have learned that. Uh, so, yeah, there's an interesting one there. But that's a whole other discussion, I think. <laughs> hey, I, I even now, at age 31, I catch myself at times being like, "Man, this game is horrible." No, 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 no. I just lost really bad. Yeah, yeah, I think we all have that ten we all have the ability to have that reaction. It's it's keeping it in check is the important thing. For sure. I mean I really appreciate you coming on. Uh it's it's been awesome talking with a fellow podcaster, but also with a listener and getting your feedback in terms of what you like to listen to and also what you guys are putting out there. Um why don't you, you know, if people want to find you guys uh your website or your podcast, why don't you tell them where they can go? Cool, yeah. So I mean our website is uh ww tinkerbotgames.com um, and we have on there uh, you know, a handful of written reviews um, and we do some blogs about board game design that normally comes from Bev and he's, uh, he's, he's really good at what he does and um, I should check those out because we do a lot of research with things like the industry and board game design so those are good blogs um, and then also it links to our podcast and you su- can subscribe to us on iTunes or you can go straight to our website and do it um, and the podcast is called Talking Tinkerbots and like I said it's, it's about board games, board game design it's mostly the three of us talking rubbish about board games for, for, for a while. We try to keep the episode short like you guys we aim for an hour or less um because we think that's sort of like a good length for a podcast um and you can get us on twitter so if you want to find me on twitter i'm at gino brancasio which i'll spell because i should have chosen an easier twitter name so it's at g-i-n-o-b-r-a-n-c-i-c-a-z-i-o i can't even get my own name right or you can go directly to tony which is at uh tinkerbot games um but i was hoping anthony i could ask you guys a question while i was here because I think it's it's uh, it's an interesting question that we ask our guests on a podcast, and I thought maybe you guys might want to have a go at answering this question on yours, if that's okay. Yeah, definitely. So on our podcast, we ask um, all of our guests the same two questions, um, and you can choose which one you guys want to answer, or you can answer both. So the first one we ask is, if you could Jumanji into any board game, which game would you pick, and most importantly, why? Why would you pick that game? So if you could Jumanji into that, and what we mean by that is not that you get shrunk down to the size of a meeple and you're standing on the cardboard. What I mean is the game comes to life and you have to play it to get the game finished and get out of it. So that's one question. And the other question we have is, do you have a board game magic moment 
that when you think back to it, that memory, that's something to do with board games, it just makes you smile. Just a happy, nice memory about the board gaming world. It could be something funny that happened. It could be something just very memorable. It could be a heartwarming moment, board game magic moment, something that just sort of gives you good memories and good thoughts about the board gaming world. So those are the two questions that we normally pose to our guests. So if you guys want to have a go with those, we'd, be, we'd, we'd love to hear your answers. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm going to take those back to the group as a whole. Uh, cool. and I'm going to make them answer. Excellent. Um, I'm actually interested to hear the the answers on the first question. That'll be an interesting one. That's a good one. Yeah, that, that's our most popular question. And we generally we get people sending in their answers by Twitter as well. So we get people saying, oh, I heard your podcast. And if I could demand you to a game, it would be such and such. So it's uh, it's really interesting to see like, the reasons that people give behind the games as well. It's it's uh, it's an interesting question because you start to learn a little bit about people and you start to learn things you perhaps didn't want to know about those people based on the reasons that they choose certain board games. So definitely an interesting one. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I'll definitely bring that back to the guys and we'll make sure it's included on this episode. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been really fun. It's been a really cool to talk board games and podcasting and everything in between um thank you and to kind of take the conversation beyond you know just our our tweets back and forth throughout the week um so i really appreciate it hopefully you can get some sleep now (laughs) (laughs) and uh make sure guys everybody listening just to check out you know uh the uh, hit the podcast you you'll find it in the show notes here if you if you didn't catch it uh through the interview i'll put a link in so it's easy to get to Thank you very much. And it's been a pleasure. And uh, give my best to everyone else, except Daniel, for making you do all the work. I think that was a bit harsh. <laughs> yeah, well, he's on vacation now, so. <laughs> yeah, that's no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyway, thank you very much for letting me be part of the podcast. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks, Anthony. All right. So thank you, Gil and Nick and Gino, for hopping on those interviews. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed talking to all three of you. Um, and. Honestly, if you're a listener out there and you've, you know, if you always wanted to be on, if you wanted to, you know, reach out to us and have a chat or join us for any segments, please just reach out. I mean, we love having people on. It was fun. And uh, um, that feedback helps us to get better and to learn new things and to hear what you guys actually get out of the podcast and what you enjoy about it. And as you could just tell, you guys sometimes are more interesting to listen to than we are. So please (laughs) step up, take over for us. We'll give you a mic. Well, on behalf of Daniel, I'd like to say uh, blah, 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 witty comment, scholarly reference, uh, witty retort (laughs) to you, Drew. Thank you so much. (laughs) But uh, thank you, Gil, Nick, and Gino. Really appreciated having you part of the podcast. As we say each and every week, this podcast is about our listeners and the insane fun we have at the table together. So thank you so much for contributing. And there are so many people have that contributed so much. Uh, we're not going to be able to get to everything, but we really thank you, and we read everything on the guilds, on Facebook, on Twitter. So thank you so much, everybody. All right, awesome. So real quick before we move on, I want to address Gino's question because I thought it was a pretty good one, um, especially that first question. Uh, so what what game would you guys Jumanji into, and uh, and why? You know, when when he was saying that, the very first thing that popped in my mind was the Forbidden Games, Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert. Um, it seemed to have that same feel. 
it would be exciting. It, at least it would be nice to be in a cooperative game, working with uh, other peoples in a specific role. I could be a diver. I prefer to be the helicopter pilot, to be honest, because I could just <laughs> leave anytime I wanted. But <laughs> I think that would be exciting. Yeah, there's a chance I'd die, but, you know, a, a good chance I'd survive it. It's no big deal. That's, that, to me, that has the closest feel to Jumanji, where your life is at stake and you just got to fight one, overcome one obstacle after another. Uh, I would choose the Forbidden Island because at least I'd have enough water. Forbidden Desert, no. No, no, no. Not for me. I'm going to go along with Seven Wonders. I just love the idea of civilization building and that you would be in charge of this great civilization and all of these wonders, these builders, these architects, these great philosophers, and be able to see them come across your cities and pick which one of those you're going to add to your civilization to build and construct and grow this great civilization that was going to be known you know, above and beyond anything that's ever been developed and, you know, fight these battles off to keep your neighbors off you, but trade with them. I just love that complexity. I love that narrative that comes with Seven Wonders, especially with the leader's expansion. And, uh, yeah, that's definitely my pick. And which leader would you be? Caesar? <sighs> I come to speak <laughs> for Caesar. <laughs> now, it would be Caesar, but the idea that you would be able to have all these great leaders come through your cities and to kind of pick who builds up your civilization, what ideas you add to it. So I love that idea. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Um, I, I feel like I could have picked any civilization game and it would have been kind of along the same lines. Uh, but I'm going to pick a game, not to spite you, Jason, but because I love it, <laughs> Mice and Mystics. Oh. Uh, <laughs> So I know I love the story already. I know I like the characters. The world is so well-developed. And I'd always thought it'd be cool to run around as a mouse. Um, I loved the Redwall books when I was a kid. Imagine myself kind of shrinking down the size of a mouse and fighting off cats and finding boots and sewer. Whatever you do as a mouse. I don't know what goes on <laughs> down there. But it'll be really fun. And while the game probably would kill me right along the lines with Drew's Choice, um, you know, you come back. So it's fine. <laughs> all right so those are the games that we would choose to jumanji into and why uh thanks gino for the awesome question i i imagine that your uh the guests you have on your podcast have uh an equally fun time answering it if not hard it's kind of a tough one to come up with a good answer for um we have just a couple more pieces of feedback we wanted to touch on before we wrapped up the episode um just some great feedback we've gotten on board game geek um as well as on the website, but in particular on Board Game Geek, we had uh, Jesse actually uh, chimed in after our co-op game episode, another piece of feedback on that one, um, with a handful of games that uh, they thought would make a good addition to the list. Some of these we've played, some of them I have not, but I, I thought it was interesting. The first on here was Atlantis Rising. It actually mentions it's their favorite game of all time, and I haven't actually played it, so I feel bad that somebody's out there like heavily advocating for this game and I have not played it. Have either of you played this one? No. I've played it. Oh, I really? played this game. It's it's a really fun, interesting game. This is one of those games that it's completely underneath the radar. It popped up, and I think that the challenge with this game was that 
you know, it was one of these games where if you didn't pick the right combination of characters in order to tackle this tragedy that was kind of this cataclysm that was happening, you died really quickly. So it was one of those you had the right combination, you won pretty easily, you had the wrong combination, you lost horribly. I really like the individual player powers. We talked about this recently on a, you know, if you like pandemic, try out these games. And the individual player powers are really interesting here. And the board is really interesting. But for some reason, it just did not connect with people. And I'm not too sure why. And I think it's just because it was not fine-tuned enough to give people a generally, like, deep play without crushing them or... It was too easy in some circumstances, but I really enjoyed my play of it. And uh, if it ever came to the table, I would jump in. All right, awesome. That's definitely what I'm gonna have to track down. Um, they mentioned that there is worker placement, and it's a co-op, so I find that uh-huh. very intriguing. Yes. A uh, couple other mentions here: Castle Panic, because of how much the their nine year old nephew loved it. So that at first you might say Castle Panic, very basic, but perfect game kind of introducing kids to the co-op genre because it's super basic um another mention for freedom the underground railroad which i know where our opinion on this one lands but i know a lot of other people really like it so it's not surprised it keeps popping up and then one more on here the isle of dr necro another one i have not actually had a chance to play but uh sounds interesting you're says you're playing the finale of a 1950s sci-fi movie as the heroic protagonist trying to rescue scientists who've been captured by Dr. Necro and made to build a modern doomsday device. So, Is, is that how you spell the doctor's name? N-E-C-R-E-A-U-X. Like a ripoff of Dr. Moreau. What was that? The Island of Dr. Moreau? Yeah. Yeah. So those are just a handful of co-op games that I uh, wanted to give a shout out to based on the recommendations there. Good uh, good suggestions. Yeah, absolutely. And then also another piece of feedback here from another one of our episodes is from game designers. And there was actually, a f- obviously we said this on the episode, we couldn't mention everybody. Um, it's a lot of people we really respect and like, and we did not get them all in there. But in particular, we got a couple mentions for uh, Vlada Shivatol who is obviously one of the iconic modern board game designers just because of how unique and big and monstrous these these games can be. Um, it's a big mix of games, I know, that have been developed by him. Um, I own a couple of them. Uh, I know that we've reviewed a couple in the past, not always favorably, but um, have to respect the work he's done um, with games like Through the Ages and Mage Knight and even Galaxy Trucker, for those of us who don't hate it, <laughs> and we have to come clean. We really have to be honest with our audience. The reason why we didn't include him is at the time we didn't know how to pronounce his name, so we just sort of <laughs> avoided it. Drew, inside information. There's a lot of ways you can mispronounce his name. Yeah, yeah, there are. I think I just learned how to pronounce it properly like two weeks ago listening to the Dice Tower. Alrighty, and so just one more final piece of feedback that I thought was pretty cool. This came from Glenn on Board Game Geek, and it was in response to our Controversy in Gaming episode. Um, got a lot of good feedback on that. We really appreciate that, because that was one where we wanted to make sure, we obviously want to do the subject um, uh, justice. We want to make sure we cover things you know, in depth, and people seem to really appreciate that. Um, so good work, Daniel and Chris, because I was not there. Yay! Yay. 
Couldn't make it either. <laughs> Anthony and I are just aren't controversial enough for an episode like that. No, no, too middling. You guys, you guys are cowards, man. <laughs> You've ran from that episode. I'm, I must have had the flu, or the son had the flu. Or... <laughs> yeah, that's always an excuse for you, isn't it? Andrew? It is, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my kid's sick. I can't make it. Sorry. You never know if it's true. It's almost always true, by the way. It's almost always true. Um, all right. So Glenn, Glenn's comment, and he was talking about uh, specifically the slaves and five tribes, which has come up a lot, I think, in lots of different podcasts yeah. and in lots of different medium. Um, but I'll read his comment in full. He said, I really enjoyed this episode. Since you brought up the Slaves in Five Tribes, I thought I would share my experience with this. I got the game, learned it, and then had to decide if I would teach it to my seven-year-old daughter. Eventually, I did. Ever since, here's how I explain the slave cards. After laying out the tiles, I place all the meeples down, lay out the resource market, and say, Each meeple represents a person from one of the five tribes. Red, yellow, green, blue, and white. These people have been scattered across the desert and are lost. Some of them have been sold into slavery, pointing to the slaves in the market. Our job is to reunite the members of these scattered tribes with each other and with their people who have been sold into slavery. Later, when explaining how they are used, I say something like, if you can take a slave out of bondage and return him to his tribe of builders, then he can contribute to the building effort and increase the multiplier. Also, if you take a slave out of bondage and return him to his tribe of elders... The elders will reward you with a magic lamp that contains a djinn. As the game goes on, the slaves are discarded in a way that is very similar to how the normal meeples are returned to the bag. This means that over the course of the game, there are fewer and fewer slaves in the world of five tribes. This makes me think we are actually freeing them. I think this is an example of making the game tell the story I want it to tell, rather than passively taking the thing the way it is given. So that was uh, Glenn's comment. I thought it was an interesting story and a, kind of a, a unique take on the whole idea rather than just saying, I don't like what the fact that this is in the game, so I'm not going to play it. He kind of changed the way the game was told. I'm impressed with that, really. That's excellent. Um, like you say, change the, if you don't like the, the conversation, change the subject. He changed it um, into something, it didn't, without changing the game, it altered the theme to make it actually more engaging. The idea of freeing the slaves, of, of, of buying them out of the slavery and, and re- reuniting them with their people. Great narrative. Great for teaching, you know, for playing with kids, too. I like it. Yeah, definitely. It's always good to get the context in there and to kind of, you know, tell the story the way you want to tell it to your children. To, you know, As somebody with children, I understand that you, you don't necessarily want to present things to them um, with no context, and it's not that they can't handle it; they can handle it. But if they don't understand what they're seeing or what they're doing, um, then they either might misinterpret it or miss it completely. So it's it's a cool story to me. And I think the thing to take away from this, especially when it comes to children, is not to cover over what has been, but to propose what can be. And in this situation, these things are going on, and these are horrible situations. And for the next generation, we don't want to dwell upon the negative. We want to give them hope to change those situations. And gaming is a learning tool and a social engagement of other people that hopefully will allow us to create strategies and tactics and ideas and cooperative relationships so that when we encounter problems in the future, 
we will have practiced enough to be able to hopefully change those things. So why not look at five tribes as there was this negative history and we are freedom fighters? Because I know, you know, when Drew and I and all of us played Freedom, the Underground Railroad, the one thing that we did take away from it together was, man, you know, we got to bring about some change. We got to do some good in the world. And why not? Why not have a child keep that in mind? Why not have a child know that they can do that good and that's just not a foregone conclusion because we are the possibility, we are the potential, and especially for children, they are the future. You can frame the narrative in a way that it really impacts you to a greater degree. That's why, to me, playing freedom, um, the way the way the game is built, Freedom the Underground Railroad, um, you have to try to uh, successfully complete the game while losing X number of slaves. Um, there's a goal that you don't want to lose a certain number or you lose the game. Whereas when I was playing it, and I think you, you were feeling this too, you realize these were human beings. You didn't want to lose any. Uh, the game allowed a built-in buffer, but it's like you're thinking, I don't want to lose a single one. And it we f- we frame the narrative that way that these are all lives we want to preserve as many all of them really um and i think you should do that with games is create a narrative that really that appeals to you that comes from you and uh, invest the game with your with your personality with your feelings well just to go back to what gil said about these you know invisible ropes and things that are kind of holding us back and sometimes it does take a child to go, why? Why are things the way they are? So it's a good thing. And it, you know, keeps us, you know, keeping it real, man. Yeah, absolutely. And that, this is one of the reasons why we were so excited to have this episode is to get other people's take on things and hear your stories about how you interact with games and teach them to your children and talk about them and have narratives like this. Because gaming is a really unique hobby. It's not passive you don't just sit there and experience something you are actively participating you're creating a a narrative and building on it with your friends and family um and so to, to me to us the podcast is the same it's not it's not something passive it's not something where we just put it out there i know that we're all interacting with each other and so i you know i hope that we've been able to convey that here and then hopefully you know um you're encouraged too to kind of share your thoughts in the future and we'll absolutely be doing this again Hey guys, Future Anthony here. Uh, We got so many extra submissions after we finished recording this episode that I wanted to hop on and share some of the questions we got, some of the feedback we got. We're actually going to put this in the next episode, um, but unfortunately we just weren't able to cram everything in into this week's uh, listener feedback episode. But no worries, we're going to have a special segment next week and probably even the week after that kind of covering the rest of these questions. But just so you know some of the stuff people are asking and also so you can chime in and help us out and kind of answer these um here's here's what came in after the recording we heard from donna who is asking about what would be a suitable board game for a group of six to eight year olds which is fantastic i know we get a lot of questions like that Uh, marie was asking what is a good board game for young girls to play leshke asked a question about what qualities you would take to create the ultimate board game philip asked about the best board games that also have an app you can play it on we got a question about what games you would bring with you on a camping trip if you had limited space And then we got a really awesome email that I will read in full next week. But again, I just wasn't able to cram it in this week from Ibrahim about 
some of the episodes he likes and some of the ways that board games in particular have helped him and his life and his family um, in just so many different ways. It was really fantastic. Definitely stay tuned for that. It's going to be on the next episode. All right. So that's just wanted to throw that out there so you know that if you didn't hear your question, if you didn't hear your feedback on this week's episode, um, and you know you sent it in a little later in the week, that's why it will be on next week. Thank you so much for your feedback. Alrighty, so in terms of where to share all those thoughts, um, we've mentioned throughout the episode some of the places people left comments. Uh, We have stuff everywhere, and we are equally active on all of them. And I do check these multiple times a day, so if you leave a comment somewhere, we will see it right away, and we will reply right away. Um, So you can hit us up on Twitter, that's at BGA Podcast. We are on Facebook, search for Board Gamers Anonymous. We are on Board Game Geek, we have a guild there. We are on our own website, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, where we will post a full write-up for every episode, plus some articles and reviews on occasion. We are also on Patreon, which was not necessarily conversational, but it's a great way to kind of join the community and help us to do what we do. Lots of cool stuff we want to do, lots of cool ideas and thoughts and um, new stuff and upgrades and all sorts of amazing things that we want to work on, and, and you can be part of that and help us do it. Uh, through Patreon, so if you want to back us there as well. We are everywhere, so make sure, whatever the comment is, whatever you want to share with us, there are many ways to do it. Thank you all for listening to us. Yes, and once again, on behalf of Daniel, witty comment, witty comment, come back, scholarly reference, uh, Zen is good, and I'm out. (laughs) Poor Daniel. (laughs) Uh, Oh, and, you know, Southern Twang. Add Southern twang to all of that. Uh, Daniel <laughs> asked me to say, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> he, he volunteered you to say that for him? He did. Man, what a guy. What a so guy. selfless. Jeez. Where does he come up with these things? All right, so that's everything. This is Chris. This is Anthony. And this is Drew. And until next time. We'll save all your contributions a place on our podcast as you enjoy the insane fun you have at the table together.